My name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 19th of March. This week is the third podcast in which we are looking at conversations that Jesus had with people who struggled to understand his message. We've looked at the conversations Jesus had with Nicodemus and a Samaritan woman at a well. And this week's conversation is with a man who was blind and wanted to see. This week's pieces of music are all worship songs of different genres, and the singers include Steve McLeod and Carrie Underwood. Some notices. Our link groups are continuing on Tuesday this week with two sessions at 2.30 and 7.30 in the Cross Street Centre, when we'll see the fourth episode of the web television series, The Chosen, an imaginative retelling of the story of Jesus. It's very easy to pick up the story, so please come along to either the afternoon or evening sessions, even if you've missed any of the others. The funeral service of our dear sister Carol Macy will take place on Monday this week in the church at 2pm and then at the crematorium at 3pm, and all are welcome to attend both services. There will be a baptismal class starting soon, and if anyone's interested in talking about believers' baptism, they should speak to me. And now our call to worship. Some verses from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. 
Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever.
shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine, but God, who called me here below, will be forever. Come and see what the Lord has done. Give thanks for his goodness and know his healing presence among us. We come to worship God that we may see his glory. We come to find Jesus in God's word that we may see his glory. We come to ask for faith and understanding that we may see his glory. Lord God, sometimes we gather together in our sacred space, the cares of the world on our shoulders. We feel we haven't the energy to be expectant. Open all our senses to you, Lord. We want to feel your healing touch today. Lord God, we lay our burdens at your feet. We are ready to experience your power. Sometimes you are at work in our lives and we don't even know it. Open all our senses to you, Lord. We want to feel your healing touch today. Lord God, make us positive along our way, whatever our circumstances. Help us to be amazed by the unusual. Open all our senses to you, Lord. We want to feel your healing touch today. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to John chapter 9, beginning at the first verse. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbours and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who'd been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. 
Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, Is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah will be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, He is old enough. Ask him. So for the second time they called in the man who'd been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do? they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. I think that some of my favourite TV adverts in recent years have been those that were produced to market Specsavers opticians. There was the one that showed the shepherd who mistakenly sheared his sheepdog and another in which the short-sighted vet who couldn't find a pulse in a cat, it turned out to be a nurse's fur hat. Somewhere along the line, someone decided it would be amusing for Specsavers to sponsor cricket umpires. It's a little ironic that test match umpires are now sponsored in this way because in international cricket, decision-making now relies heavily on technology. And let's not get started on VAR. When I was a boy, there was a saying that I thought I heard my grandmother say, which was, there's none so blind as those who can't see. I thought that that was fairly obvious and didn't really need to be pointed out. Of course, what she actually said was, there's none so blind as those who won't see. This could take us to football managers, as certain of these have a reputation for situational blindness. If there's something on which they really don't want to comment, it turns out that they were looking the other way at the time. Much as they would love to make a comment, they just really didn't see it. Today we're thinking about sight, and we will come to explore the idea of how seeing happens with our minds 
as well as with our eyes. The story I read is a long one, but the essence of it is contained in the first nine verses. Jesus was walking in Jerusalem when his disciples pointed out a blind man and used this man as the basis of a question about the connection between sin and disease. Jesus said the question, who'd sin, the man or his parents, was wrong-headed because no such direct connection exists. Instead, Jesus used the man as an illustration of God's power through him. After Jesus had healed the man of his blindness, those who'd been used to seeing him begging in the street argued amongst themselves over the whether or not this was the same man. But the man told them, it's me, all right, I'm the one. The story continues with the aftermath of what had happened. People who knew the man asked him how Jesus had done it, and they wondered where Jesus had gone. Some noticed that this had happened on the Sabbath, and any form of work, including healing, was frowned upon on the Sabbath by the Pharisees who were very strict in their keeping of the law and indeed in their interpretation of the law. And so the man was marched off to find some Pharisees and like everyone else they grilled him again about what had happened. The man was beginning to get quite practiced at telling his story and he developed a truncated version. He put mud on my eyes, I washed it off and now I see. Some of the Pharisees made the stunning deduction that although healing was normally attributed to God, this was clearly not the case with this man. It had happened on a Sabbath, and God keeps the Sabbath, so it can't have been God, QED. But others argued that a bad person can't do miraculous God-revealing things, and so a split in the ranks was beginning to appear. Then they asked the man for his opinion. He said he thought that Jesus was a prophet, so the ones who were anti took a new tack. Maybe he wasn't blind in the first place. Having taken the man to see the Pharisees, the people next took him to his parents and they asked them two questions, one easy, one hard. The easy one first, is this your son? Then the hard one, how is it that he was born blind but can now see? The first one they answered okay. After all, despite the dramatic improvement in the eye department, he was still their son. As to why he'd once been unable to see but now could, they were no nearer to an answer than anyone else. Or rather, that's what they said. Because it's pretty clear that they said nothing as they didn't want to rock the boat. The Jewish leaders had put the frighteners on anyone who spoke out in favour of Jesus as the Messiah. And although the previously blind man's parents might have had their suspicions with regard to how their son had been healed, it wasn't in their interests to mention it. The people went again to the man himself and encouraged him to give God the credit for his healing and to denounce Jesus as an imposter. The man himself was a bit reticent to make this sort of theological judgment about what had happened and waved them away saying, I don't know about any of that stuff. But I know one thing for sure. I was blind, but now I see. What did he do to you? The people persisted. Exactly how did he open your eyes? I keep telling you, the man said, clearly becoming exasperated with their questions. Why do you want to hear it again? He then came out with a nice line in sarcasm. Do you want to become his disciples? Well, the people went up like a light at this suggestion. You might be a disciple of that man, but we're disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we've got no idea where this man even comes from. The man who'd once been blind didn't let them get away with this and responded in kind. Well, I find it amazing that this man opened my eyes, but you people who claim to know everything know nothing about him. 
You may not have heard of him, but that doesn't alter the fact that he did what he did, and therefore he must have come from God. At which point the people said, don't you take that tone with us, and they threw him out. Not that they'd asked to come in the first place. Jesus heard what had happened and found the man. Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? I don't know, but if you point him out to me, I'll let you know. Jesus said, you're looking at him. Don't you recognize my voice? At this point, the man did recognize Jesus, and he said, Master, I believe. Jesus then explained what he'd done. I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who've never seen will see, and those who've made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. The Pharisees overheard him and said, Are you calling us blind? If the cap fits, said Jesus. If you were really blind, you would be blameless, but since you claim to see everything so well, then you're accountable for every fault and failure. There are a number of different sets of people in this story. There are the disciples who start the ball rolling by asking this question about sight and sin. Then there were those who John calls the people, those who first saw the man who'd been blind and a beggar all his life, being able to see for the first time ever. Then there were the Pharisees who were asked their view, and finally the man's parents. Of course, there was also Jesus and the man himself. I wonder whether the different reactions of the people involved, the disciples, the man, the crowd, the Pharisees and his parents, might also be stereotypes of attitudes we might find amongst ourselves and in the wider church with regard to what God is doing in our world. I want us to think about this a little further by looking at an example. Some years ago there was a TV programme that looked at the possibility of revising the Ten Commandments. There was a list of 20 from which people could choose with only five of the originals making the slate for possible inclusion in the revised version. One feature that was missing, we're not surprised at this, I'm sure, was any claim on our loyalty by a unique and sovereign God. Instead, one of the new commandments was, be true to your own God. These were the postmodern commandments which couldn't countenance the suggestion that there might be such a thing as objective truth. Some of the suggestions that were given were a long way from the commandments which were given by God through Moses. It's hard to imagine Moses coming down the mountain and proclaiming, enjoy life, be true to yourself, or look after your health. But many of the others are echoes of biblical sentiments, if not commandments. Look after the vulnerable. Take nothing in excess. Appreciate what you have. Never be violent. Protect the environment. Protect and nurture children and take responsibility for your own actions. Of course, there has to be a winner in these things, and this was a teaching that did actually come from Jesus. Treat others as you would like to be treated. It's interesting to see how important the historic commandments, together with other biblical teaching, still remains in our society, as it is to see what else has crept in. We can also see how, in a world in which being true to yourself is so important, the suggestion that there should be any outside interference in how one lives one's life would be considered unacceptable. If part of the argument is about the right of God to claim our obedience, in contrast to the rights of human beings to live their lives unfettered by outside interference, 
The other part is about how the Bible should be interpreted. The people in the story I read all had a view on what had happened. Some saw what had gone on, knew how it had happened, and kept quiet. That was the man's parents. Perhaps they could be said to be the model for Christians who've worked out what they believe God has to say on this issue, but keep quiet for fear of rocking the boat. Another way of looking at it is that they have adopted ostrich tactics, putting their heads in the sand until the problem goes away. The Pharisees, the upholders of the law, were unable to criticise Jesus for healing the man, except on the point that he'd done so on the Sabbath. Their interpretation of the law was that observance of the Sabbath overruled everything else, including the opportunity for this man to be brought to full health. They were so focused on one thing that they couldn't see the full picture. In our day, an example might be that there are a number of injunctions in the Bible against homosexual behaviour, but there are more references to the need for God's people to give generously to the poor, to the extent of losing their hold on their own property altogether. Christian people are happy to say that the Apostle Paul was a man of his time in his attitude towards slavery. You'll remember that he encouraged Onesimus, the runaway slave, to go back to his master Philemon, and that he gave instructions on slave-master relationships, hardly the behaviour of an emancipationist. Do we use the same judgment when we read other passages, such as those relating to women in Christian leadership or to homosexuality, as we do with regard to those prohibiting eating shellfish? Then there was the man who was himself born blind. We might want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was in shock, but with all this talk of the Messiah, the best he could say about the man who healed him was that he was a prophet. Jesus had just given him back his sight, but he couldn't make the connection that this might just be someone more than a prophet like John the Baptist, for example. He'd been given eyes to see, but he still hadn't seen who Jesus was. In fact, he wasn't too bothered who Jesus was. He was only interested to know that once he was blind, but now he could see. He failed to see the meaning and the wider implications of the miracle that had happened. It was the disciples, let's not forget, who started all this off. Who sinned? they asked. The man or his parents? Now this wasn't such a bizarre question as we might think, as sin and sickness had always been tied together, although Job's story could have made them think again. Jesus himself might have confused matters when he told a paralysed man to get up and that his sins were forgiven. However, what was important when they saw this man was not to ask theological questions about how this had happened, but to do something about it. This is not to say that theological questions sometimes have their place, but when Jesus was with them, it wasn't the time for questions, it was the time for action. Christian disciples can easily be criticised for talking about something rather than actually doing it, talking about poverty, but not working to alleviate it. The New Testament spoke about faith and works, and some have suggested that different passages have placed these ideas in opposition. But the message of the letter of James, for example, is that faith leads to works. We might also say that if our theology, our talking about God, is to be of value, it will lead to a responsive action on our part. The last set of personalities that we're going to look at rather briefly were those whom John calls the people, the family and neighbours of the man who was born blind. 
This might seem an odd thing to say, but I would most like to align myself with these people. Why is that? I hear you ask. Well, it has something to do with their persistence, their willingness to ask questions and their capacity for disagreement. Now, I'm not a great one for dealing with conflict, but on the other hand, I can see that a church and the church can and should be places where differences of opinion can be held together. I like the idea that these people kept coming back to the man and asking him what had happened. I like the way they went to the Pharisees and went to his parents to try to find out the answer. I like the way they didn't agree and were prepared to talk about it. However, I have a feeling that my natural tendency is to be like the parents. Having a good idea about what is right, but apprehensive about saying it out loud. I think that I would rather be like the people. They knew what they saw, but they weren't sure what it meant. And they were going to find out, even if they upset a few people along the way. It wasn't these people whom Jesus criticised. It was the Pharisees. They were the ones who should have seen, but didn't. And so they were the most to blame. Jesus came to bring light, and we have been called to walk in the light and to be light to the world. If we're to fulfill our calling, we cannot afford to turn our backs on searching for truth. God has opened our eyes because he wants us to see and to help others to see. May God help us to bring light to the world.
God's empty praise Thou mine inheritance Now and always Thou and Thou only The first in my heart High King of heaven My treasure Thou Let us pray. The blind man was secure in his healing and his faith. Even when challenged by the Pharisees, he stood firm. Lord God, we ask you to forgive us for the times we doubt you, for the times we play down your power in our lives or the lives of others, for the times we fail to acknowledge things that don't suit us, for the times we look at others and blame something on the result of some sin when they haven't done anything wrong at all. Forgive us for not seeing with your eyes. Jesus came to check on the blind man when he had been sent away. You, Lord, come to look for us when we've sinned and bring us forgiveness and hope. Thank you that you are a God who doesn't only bring us forgiveness when we are truly sorry, but that you keep an eye on us as we go forward, trusting you. Some of us will know that song, he gave us eyes to see them and lips that we might tell how great is God Almighty who has made all things well. The week ahead is a blank canvas. There will be many familiar places and faces. But Lord, thank you that we have met with you today and you have opened our eyes anew. Let us not take our preconceptions with us but give thanks for all the new opportunities ahead. Light of the world, we pray for those who suffer prejudice because of any kind of disability, physical, emotional, social or mental. Help us to recognise our prejudices and to treat all people equally. We pray for all who work for a fairer and more just society where all can be free to live, no matter what their circumstances. We pray for all who walk in darkness with no light and little hope. 
May they know the joy that only you can bring. Heal those who mourn, suffering loss and sadness, those who are alone, those rejected by family and friends, those who are outcasts in our society. Lord, show us how to be instruments of your healing. Open our eyes that we might see. Amen.
Our last piece of music is the well-known hymn Just As I Am, and it's sung here by Carrie Underwood. But first, a final prayer, which I'm going to say in the first person, and so I hope that you can make this your own too. Lord, open my eyes to see what you are revealing. Open my mouth to speak about you. Guide my thoughts and increase my understanding. Stir my heart to love as you loved us. Move my hands and feet to serve you in others. In the name of Jesus Christ, my example and friend. Oh 